Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. Today's topic is selling stocks for value investors. And this is going to be the first part of a multi-part series on stock selling. And today's part is focused on the topic of strategy matters. Now, why selling stocks? Well, I think having a series on selling stocks is important because selling stocks is arguably just as important as the process of buying stocks. I have spent 99% of the show covering topics that generally focus on either buying stocks or some sort of portfolio management. And yet a key part of the investment process is selling stocks. I have one episode so far, episode 106, talking about selling stocks. And so if you'd like to listen to that episode, you can listen to it, episode 106. But I think what I'd like to do is it's only a single episode out of hundreds of episodes that talk about buying in some form or another, whether it be fundamental analysis, valuation work, um, discussing various aspects of business analysis. All of those are very important parts of buying stocks. But what I want to do today is I really want to touch on selling. I think selling is very important, and it is certainly more important than the 1% of the time I've dedicated to it, so this is going to be an ongoing series. It's not going to be necessarily every episode for a, you know, a month or two. What it is going to be is it's going to be a long-term series that I'll come back to over time that I want to touch on different aspects of selling process. But today, we're going to focus on the idea of strategy, and that the strategy that you use will determine the type of selling you have in investments and what your concerns are when thinking about it. If you're enjoying this video and if you like this show, you can always subscribe and click that like button to let YouTube know that you're enjoying it and you'd like more videos like this in the future. Your likes and subscriptions really help me to grow the show. So please do that. Now, selling stocks. We're going to talk about strategy. And specifically, this whole series is going to talk about strategy in the context of value investing. We are going to exclude inherently momentum investing. We're going to exclude trading. We're going to exclude technical analysis. Um, there might be some aspects that work their way in, whether it be momentum trading or technical analysis. But I'm going to assume for this series that you are a value investor, that valuation forms some part of your process. If valuation perform, you know, has zero part in your process, if you don't consider yourself a value investor, if you don't find um, the price of stocks important, at all, then this is not the series for you. Feel free to tune out. Feel free to check out some of my other videos. But we're going to assume you're a value investor, and that could be multiple types of value investors. You could be a deep value investor. You could be a compound investor. You could be a Grammian value investor. You could be focused on quality value investing. Um, the key point is that you care about the valuation. You care about the price of the stocks that you buy. You might care about the price of the stocks you sell, but all of that comes into play when you think about investing. So that's important because that's the framework I use for my investing process. I consider myself a value investor. Um, there's a few different, you know, caveats and twists I put on value investing. I really like to buy quality stocks. I like to buy stocks that I hold for the long term. I like to buy liquid companies. But value investing forms a core part of my process. And so that's what I can best speak to. 
And what you can tell already by those exclusions and also by the caveats of the different types of value investing is that there's not going to be one size fit. There's not going to be a single one size fits all approach. Selling stocks is going to be driven by the strategy that you're using. If you're a deep value investor, you're going to need a different selling strategy than the compounder pros. If you are buying high quality stocks, you're going to need a different strategy than if you buy low quality stocks. If you are really focused on longer term high horizons, you're going to have different strategy than if you have a shorter term high horizon. So that's the focus of today is that The strategy you choose that you are using to build your investments around is going to drive the selling strategy that you have. So basically, the key point here is that your buying strategy and your selling strategy are linked. They're not necessarily going to be identical, but they're going to influence each other each other. And so over the course of this series and over the course of this episode, I want to discuss those topics, that idea that depending upon the investor you are, you might have a different selling strategy. And I'm going to give you some tips on what those strategies might be, some things you might want to think about if you fall into certain buckets. And if you don't fall into one of these buckets, don't be upset. It should be something still a helpful learning experience to understand the different aspects of how I'm thinking through the framework. And that framework will be something you can use to apply to your process. Again, I think every investor has their own unique investing process. And those unique aspects are helpful for you as you proceed as an investor. And so when we think about this today, that's where we're going to go. So a few other pieces here with strategy that are going to matter. Well, it's not just how you buy stocks that influence how you sell them, but also your portfolio allocation strategy is going to matter. If you have a diverse portfolio, 30 stocks, 50 stocks, 100 stocks, then the pace at which you sell stocks, the manner in which you sell stocks, and whether you should sell stocks at certain points is going to be very different from if you run a concentrated portfolio of five or 10 stocks like I do. So I have to think very differently about my selling strategy because I own five companies than if I owned 20, 30, 50, or 100. And the same is going to be true for you. You need to take into account the fact that each portfolio allocation strategy is going to drive a different selling strategy because all of that's going to play into it. Think about just the natural implications here. If you have very few stocks, then what that means when you're buying is you have to have a very high hurdle rate before you buy. And the corollary of that is you're going to have a very high hurdle rate before you sell because you're you it's very hard for you to find a stock that meets your buying hurdle. So it should be very hard for you to hit your the hurdle of when you sell because it's going to be very difficult to replace that stock. Now, the opposite is true is if you have a very diversified portfolio. If your portfolio is very diversified, if you have 30, 50 stocks, then Consequently, your buying hurdle is going to be relatively lower. You're going to be putting new stocks in your portfolio more quickly. And that means that you're also going to be needing to remove or have the potential to remove stocks easier, which means your selling hurdle is going to be lower. That's something you really need to take into account and really think about as you make your implications for your selling strategy. Now, another aspect of this, which may or may not be driven simply by the number of stocks in your portfolio, but the number of stocks you review in a year will matter. If you only review one stock a year, then you're going to have to be very, very careful selling stocks because it might take you a few years before you find one that's worth buying. If you look at 10 stocks a year 
then you are going to have a little bit more freedom to sell stocks quicker. If you look at a hundred or a thousand stocks in a year, then you're likely to have a multitude of ideas that you could replace your stocks with. And that will offer you the opportunity to sell stocks quicker. So all of that is to say that these things matter. And you need to think about how many stocks are you reviewing in a single year? Now, this is a metric you should be studying anyway, because the more stocks you can turn over, the more ideas you're going to have. So you should make it a goal to review more stocks each year than you do the year before, or at least try and increase it to be at a higher level. The more stocks you review, the more opportunities you're going to find, and the more opportunities you're going to find you find the better your likely overall return is going to be regardless of the other strategies, regardless of if you're a short or long-term investor, regardless of if you're concentrated or diversified, the more stocks you can review, the better your selling decisions can be because the better your buying decisions will be. Likewise, another aspect that does matter is whether you plan to own a cash position or not. If you hold cash, that will impact how you think about selling. Because if you're like me and you don't hold a cash position in your portfolio, then selling a stock inherently means that you are planning to buy another stock either immediately or in the short term. You don't plan to hold cash in between those two positions. But if you do hold a cash position, then that means you can sell a stock without having a new stock ready and prepared to buy. Those two things become very, very important as you're planning out your portfolio because your cash position is a position in itself and it can likely fluctuate up and down. But if you don't even have a cash position, if you intend to remain 100% invested like I do, then that necessitates a different selling strategy. So you need to think about for your portfolio, what is your cash position? Do you have a cash position and how does that influence your selling strategy. All of these pieces are going to have longer, more in-depth, probably single episodes focusing in on them in in detail. But I want to make sure to preview some of these key aspects that are going to go into the framework of how you should think about selling. Because selling matters and it's driven by your overall investing strategy. Now we're going to take a moment to hear this message from our sponsors. Do you have an idea for a great new podcast? You can bring your idea to life and start your podcast today with Libsyn. Our podcast has been hosted on Libsyn for five years and we love it. Libsyn has everything you need to plan, launch, and grow your own podcast. Libsyn provides some of the best resources created by expert podcasters who will show you everything you need to know, like what equipment you should use, how to record great audio, and how to get your show onto Apple Podcasts and other popular platforms. Plus, as a friend of the DIY Investing Podcast, when you sign up with Libsyn, you get your first month of podcast hosting for free. There has never been a better time than right now for you to start podcasting. Visit Libsyn.com and use code FRIEND, F-R-I-E-N-D. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com and use code FRIEND, F-R-I-E-N-D, to get started and create your podcast today. So, One thing that needs to be addressed now is I want to give you some ideas for a few different strategies and how that plays into potential selling with these different strategies. Now, I think every investor should have their own unique strategy, unique to their personal portfolio, unique to how they think about stocks, unique to what they're good at. But overall, there's some broad buckets that we can 
put investors in when we think about different investing strategy. So I have a few buckets I want to cover today that should give you some ideas for how your strategy might play in and what you think about them from there. I'm going to cover deep value, compounders, net nets, waterfall stocks, dividend growth investing, and buy and hold investing. These are just a few different strategies that all fall under the umbrella of value investing in my eyes. And so I want to give you some ideas, regardless of which one of these buckets some or part of your strategy might fall into, you might fall into multiple buckets. Um, But I want to give you some ideas for how you might want to think about selling if you fall into a particular bucket. Now, some of these ideas are taken from other investors, are taken from this general common sense that goes around them, um, long-term sayings, that sort of thing. So don't be surprised if you've heard some of this before. I am pulling from the wisdom of those who have come before me to provide this framework, but I think it's helpful because you need to think about it and you need to explicitly have understood in your investing strategy, what is your selling strategy? If you only focus on buying, you're likely to make a mistake on selling. Likewise, if you only focus on selling, you're likely to make mistakes buying. So selling strategy, selling strategy for deep value. Now, deep value, again, has all its own buckets, but generally it's going to fall under the idea of you're going to come up with a valuation. Um, This might be similar to maybe a Grammian valuation, but you're going to have something like two thirds of the valuation and you're going to buy at two thirds of value and you're going to consider selling at full price. This is this idea. So let's say you come up with a valuation for a company of $100 per share. Well, then your buying discipline might say only buy the stock if it's below $67 per share. Why? Because $67 is two thirds of $100. That gives you a margin of safety on your buy. And then one of the common selling strategies for this type of buying strategy is to wait until the price goes to fair value and sell at full price. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to sell at $100 per share because you bought at $67 per share. Maybe the value changes between that time. But basically, when the stock hits your determination of fair value, you sell at full price. And then that gives you the overall strategy that you might have as a deep value investor. Now, some deep value investors might truly think of it on the deep end. And so maybe they only buy at 50% of fair value and maybe they're actually selling before it hits their full fair value because they have another stock at below 50 percent so depending upon your turnover rate again that's going to drive um the overall selling strategy if you have lots of new ideas then you're likely to sell a lot quicker Um, and if you have a lot slower ideas you're likely to sell a lot slower but generally that's one of the frameworks you might have as a value investor is you buy at two-thirds of value or less and you sell when it hits full price. Now, another bucket that a lot of investors have popularized recently is what I'm gonna generally call something like compounder bros. It's this idea that you have long-term compounding businesses. These are gonna be um, generally considered high-quality businesses. These are gonna be considered businesses that are growing um, substantially over time. It doesn't necessarily need to be quickly, um, but generally the faster the better, generally um, higher returns on capital the better, All of these tend to fall under this idea of compounding. It's something that you can buy once, hold for a long period of time, and the value is compounded within the business. So you're reinvesting capital. All of that capital is then being reused to help make you have a more valuable business. And so when you buy that stock, you're intending to hold for a long time. 
but even compounders need to have a selling strategy. And there's a few different ways that I think this can work. One way is that you sell when the compounding ends. A lot of businesses go through some sort of life cycle phase. Um, they don't necessarily like raise up and die, but sometimes they have a very accelerated growth period. They have a compounding period, and then maybe they plateau a little bit once they've reached maturation. So one selling strategy for a compounding investor is to buy relatively early or during the compounding phase, let the business run, and then sell once it kind of slows down, once it starts to plateau. Once you see that growth rate go from 15% a year to 4% a year, and it kind of stays in that 4% range, and you don't expect anything faster, well, maybe it's now time to sell. Now, there's obviously um, difficulties with this because if you do this, then you might actually experience multiple compression because you might end up buying at a high multiple and selling at a low multiple because if the whole market thinks that the future is going to be low growth, then you're unlikely to be getting a very high multiple. So you would then have to be extra careful on your buying side because if you sell simply when the business plateaus, then you might have multiple compression, which is never really good as a selling strategy. But it could be the selling strategy you have as a compounding investor because you're going to say, okay, well, maybe I'm compounding at 15% a year. I can take 3 4% of multiple compression at the end if I just wait because I don't want to hold it when it plateaus. Um, of course, you know some of the more trading styles, which is not something I'm going to focus on, might do try and predict when that plateau would happen and sell before it, hopefully hoping to get out before everyone else and avoid that multiple compression. That's not something that I try to do, so it's not something I recommend, but it's the type of idea you might have as a compounding investor of when to sell. It's when that compounding ends, you consider selling. Alternatively, and this is going to hold true for every style of investing, is you sell when you're wrong. You know, one of the ideas of compounders is that you're trying to predict a business that's going to compound for the long period in the future. So if you determine that you're wrong and the business isn't compounding and it isn't likely to compound in the future, then again, that would be a reason to sell because your strategy is designed to hold compounding businesses. Not every business is a compounding business. Not every investor has to hold compounding businesses. But if that's your strategy, then you might want to consider selling when the business is no longer compounding. <laughs> What's another strategy? Net-net investing is one strategy that is very profitable. It can be very interesting. It's this idea of buying stocks that are trading below two-thirds of the net cash that they have on hand once you net out all the liabilities. So this is a business that has more cash on hand than it does liabilities, and then you're buying it at two-thirds of that value. This is like a subset of deep value investing. And so on the one hand, you might say, oh, well, maybe I just copy the deep value strategy. You buy at two-thirds of value and you sell at full price. The problem with net-net investing is they're so cheap that that's often a poor way of implementing this investment because a lot of the companies that become net-nets end up going bankrupt or having massive problems. That's why they're so cheap in the first place. So if you simply sell after they go up 50% in value, which is what happens when you buy at two-thirds of price and you, buy, you, you sell at full value, is you might consider a strategy that is time-limited. So a net good net-net strategy may be to hold for a year plus a day you know, to get that long-term capital gains and then reassess. If it's still a net-net, then you might hold for another year. If it's not a net yet, then maybe you sell and you reinvest that into another net-net. <laughs> 
And this is one way you could have as a selling strategy that you build it up in advance. You know, okay, I'm going to hold this stock for at least a year. And then at that year period, you decide. What that allows you to do is it prevents you from selling out too early. You need to understand how this strategy is structured because if you don't understand that the net-net strategy is driven by a few very big winners that are going up 2, 3, 400, 500% and that offsets some really bad losers, you might actually make the strategy not work successfully. So you need to think through how your strategy is going to be divided. Is it going to be a few winners? Is it going to be, are you looking for a 10% hit rate, a 40% hit rate, or a 90% hit rate? Depending upon the hit rate you expect, and depending upon how big those hits need to be, is going to drive your selling process. Let's go to waterfall stocks. Waterfall stocks are a type of business that I find really interesting, and I used to buy a lot of, but I've been trying to avoid buying as much recently. I consider a waterfall stock a company that's not really growing on a real basis anymore. This is a business that's basically reached maturity. Maybe it's growing 0% a year. Maybe it's growing 2% or 4% a year, but it's not really growing much faster than 4%. It's not really compounding. It could have a very high rate of return on its investments, but really all it's doing is it's a cash cow. You might've heard this cash cow. It's basically paying out all its money basically in dividends. So This might be a dividend company, but it's not like a dividend growth company. It's just like a high dividend or it's a high yield. It's like owning a bond at a very high rate or something along those lines. You're basically buying cash flow and you're buying cash flow now. You don't really care about the cash flow in the future. It's a waterfall because it's dumping cash down the waterfall to you and then you have to figure out how to reinvest it. Now, if you're buying these types of companies, then you're presumably buying them based upon some sort of target dividend yield. Maybe you buy a waterfall stock if its dividend is 6% or more, or maybe you buy a waterfall stock if its dividend is 8% or more or 10% or more. These exist out there. There's a few that I really like um, and that I've bought in the past where you can buy these really high quality um dividends that they're not really growing, but it's just a high dividend. I mean, one of my favorites that I've talked about in the past is Pine Lawn Cemetery. PLWN is the ticker. Um, It's a dark stock. And since the SEC ruling, you can't really buy it um, unless you're a sophisticated investor on the expert market. But it used to be when I first bought it, it was like an 8% dividend yield, completely safe, completely safe 8% dividend yield. Um, You didn't really expect much growth, but I mean, it was a very safe 8% you know, perpetual bond for lack of a better word, which is worth substantially more um, than it was trading at because most people would, you know, accept a 4% perpetual bond. So um, my strategy when I bought Pine Lawn was to buy it at a high percent dividend yield. And then I sold it once the dividend yield dropped below a sufficient amount for me. And I can't remember where that was 5%, I think is what my limit was because I knew that the dividend was basically my entire return. I couldn't count on growth, couldn't count on anything else. And so it was buy at a high dividend yield, sell at a target dividend yield. Another bucket strategy you might think about is dividend growth investing. This is an incredibly popular strategy, dividend growth investing. And the way it generally works when you're buying is you're trying to buy companies that pay dividends and then grow them. And so those companies are generally something that they're going to be paying a good dividend. Maybe, it, And it's going to come in a few different flavors. It might be a high dividend that grows slowly. It might be a low dividend that grows quickly, something like Disney. Um, a lot of the high dividends that grow slowly are stuff that's like real estate investment trusts or utility companies or a lot of times packaged food companies, stuff like your Coca-Colas. 
stuff like your um, Philip Morris International tobacco companies, various things fall into these dividend growth investings where they have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of paying out dividends and growing them over time. It's a very attractive strategy for many investors because it has that inherent margin of safety that comes from the dividends you're being paid. Now, Again, you tie your selling strategy to the buying strategy. So if you're intending to buy companies that pay dividends and grow them, a lot of dividend growth investors will then consider a selling strategy that they would sell them when the dividend is either cut or eliminated. Um, This isn't always the best strategy because maybe they're at a cheap price at those points, but because it's a good disciplined strategy because it goes against what they're trying to do. If you're trying to invest only on dividends, then why are you holding a company that doesn't pay you dividends? And so you really need to focus on your niche. And if this is your niche, if you're a dividend growth investor, then by focusing on that niche, focusing on the companies that are paying dividends, that allows you to be successful. It allows you to do well because you're choosing companies that are focused on your strategy. So In that case, again, you're tying that selling strategy to be you don't buy companies that don't pay dividends, so then you should sell the companies that no longer pay dividends. And that's one way of forming a selling strategy around dividend growth investing. Now, another bucket is buy and hold investing. Now, buy and hold investing generally has this maxim of never sell. And never sell is quite interesting because... There's only a subset of stocks where this could possibly work. You can't have a buy and hold strategy for every company out there. There needs to be some level of growth in the business. There needs to be some level of quality in the business. There needs to be some level of compounding in the business. There needs to be some level of cash flow in the business. If you're going to invest in a company and plan to never sell it, then you need to be looking for things like the company is has very low bankruptcy risk. The company is compounding and reinvesting capital so that your money is worth more in the future. The company is both maybe paying you a dividend or something so that you benefit from the stock. Because if you never sell it, then the only way you can get benefit from the stock is if you receive cash flow. So you have to have some way of receiving cash flow, but you also want them to be some part of the business that's compounding and growing internally. And so it overlaps well with compounders and dividend growth investing. But here, buy and hold has already created its investing strategy of never sell. And so your selling strategy there, never sell, is is made for you, but that really means that the selling strategy is driving your buying strategy. Most of this episode have talked a lot about how the buying strategy is driven by your selling, or your selling strategy is driven by the buying strategy, but here it's the other way around. If you know your selling strategy is that you're never going to sell, then that needs to drive your buying strategy. That needs to limit the universe of stocks you're looking at in order to be ones that work under a never sell strategy. And so you need to have those qualities that work out. Um, You then be the type of businesses that can't be easily destroyed, type of businesses with big moats. And a lot of those times, those businesses might have some downsides that go with them. They're going to likely to be lower growth. They're going to likely be um, maybe a company that has... Um, already established its market, already built that strong moat, and so you have some surety that they're going to last a period of time. So those things can go into the, under the buy and hold. You don't want to just do that on its own. So I hope this has given you some ideas for how strategy matters for when you're selling stocks as a value investor. There's many different buckets of value investing, but I think they're all important for you to consider if you're going to be a successful investor because you can get ideas from one or the other regardless of where you follow into them. So 
If you're enjoying, the, if you enjoyed this video, please hit that like button. Please subscribe. Your subscriptions help to let YouTube know that you're enjoying the videos, that you'd like to see more. I This is my investing podcast, DIY investing podcast. It's available on YouTube, podcast, um, Apple, Spotify, everywhere. So if you're listening on those platforms, please give me a five-star rating and review. That really helps support the show. And if you would like to know more about what I do with investing, I also have a newsletter that you can subscribe to, um, to where I talk about individual stock ideas. You can go to my YouTube where I talk about individual stock ideas. And all those links are for you in the show notes today. So thank you for listening. And until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth.